And welcome back. I'm Mike with the Turntable Teachers, and class is officially back in session. And we are here for another guest speaker episode. And today I am joined by a very special guest. I have the lovely Jasmine Ortiz joining the show today. Thank you so much, Jasmine, for being here. This is an honor having you on the show. How, how you been? How you doing? How's, how's things? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, you know, it's it's been a long Monday so far, but uh, we're getting through the day, getting through the rest of the week, hopefully, just working on school stuff, working on music. Busy, busy, busy. <laughs> yeah, you you do quite a bit. You're, we're very we're very similar in a lot of ways because you, you definitely uh, are able to, to juggle a lot of different things at once, for sure. Uh, yeah, that's a good place to start. We, I mean, I guess we kind of kick off where we were left off on off air. We were talking a lot about school and stuff. So you're a, a student at the University of Miami, specifically the Frost School of Music. Is that correct? Yeah, I am a junior and I study musicianship, artistry development, entrepreneurship, minors in political science, songwriting and music business. Um, so I lot. definitely <laughs> have a lot going on at once, but totally. I love it here. Um, I really decided to come to UM because it felt like home when I came to visit for my audition. And they really decided to kind of cater the curriculum for me. So I actually got to build my own major and incorporate different aspects of like other majors into what I study. So instead of just focusing on music business or production or performance or songwriting, I get to kind of do all of it. That's awesome. I think that's a good thing, too, because it'll leave you with a lot of different options once you're done. Right. I mean, you'll have kind of some some different directions you can go in. So that's awesome. Uh, which which part of it for you? I guess my first question will be which part for, for you is the most passionate at this point, like out of all the laundry list of things that you're doing at school. Which, what's the one you think right now? Because you are, of course, a junior. So you're probably thinking a little bit about ahead of like, OK, got about a year left. Like wh what direction do you, do you maybe see yourself going in in about a year? I definitely um, feel the most passionate about my songwriting. So I am also obviously an artist and I'm really passionate about being a recording artist and performer. So that's something that goes hand in hand for me because I find it so much more rewarding when I do get uh, to write my own songs and perform them and just kind of see the reaction to them. Definitely. So I absolutely love songwriting and I want to write for other people as well as myself because I've really been exploring my skills in production, in collaborating, in writing for other topics, other genres. So that's something that I'm super passionate about working on more. Awesome. And which, which part is like has been the most challenging for you to kind of, uh, the most difficult uh, for you to kind of, uh, to grasp onto? Oh, hmm. I feel like, I, I feel like the music business classes have been, they, a lot of them have felt like second nature to me because I've been around the industry for so long and mm -hmm. my parents were both in the industry. Oh, so I kind of had that secondhand knowledge already just from childhood, hearing them on phone calls, hearing them discuss certain topics. So I had all of that baseline, but really getting into the nitty gritty of what a performance budget entails, what an album budget entails, um, what copyright law actually is on paper, how to deal with music business negotiations and contracts, all of those things, like the nitty gritty of it, above like kind of the general consensus that I understood have been 
challenging just to kind of learn the specific laws, the codes, uh, the cases. So that's been really interesting because I'm also um, kind of politically engaged on campus and interested in law and politics. So having that kind of coincide with music business has been interesting. Awesome. Don't stop uh, exploring the passions. I think that's a good uh, good advice for anybody to hear that you, you can you can do multiple things at once. It's not until 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 you're forced to make a decision, of course, but which, yeah. which won't happen for a while, which is, you know, I'm, I'm still doing that. I haven't made a decision myself. So but, uh, you know, that, that's awesome that you're kind of in seem like you're just ingratiating yourself into the scene there and really just making your presence known on campus and through so many different outlets. And we were talking a little bit off air, too, about you like getting involved in teaching yourself, which is awesome. Turntable teachers, you're, you're, you're in the yeah. right place. Uh, <laughs> you know, we had a conversation about education and just the educational system and, you know, how, you know, not always the, uh, the high school system necessarily, uh, I think, drives students in the right direction all, all, a lot of the times, right? Um, so for you, like, what have you noticed in your transition, not only as a student, but now as almost being an educator yourself in a way? Yeah, it's interesting for me um, to realize, I guess, the gaps in my own education and where I would have wanted to have more information off the bat. And um, as a mentor, as an educator, um, I because I pretty much teach not only... I'll get into what I teach in a minute, but I also act as a mentor for Frost School of Music, and I kind of mentor freshmen, sophomores, underclassmen who are looking to maximize their education at the school, and I kind of provide them with the insight of things I wish I had learned sooner, maybe some classes to avoid, you know, things here and there that I wish I had someone to kind of tap me on the shoulder and be like, hey, this is my advice. Um, I think it's interesting because it gives you an entirely different perspective um, and also allows you to dig into the information even more. I feel like as someone coming from a teaching perspective, I have an even better knowledge now of the things that I'm teaching uh, than before when I was just learning them. So obviously it makes sense, but it's something that you don't really realize until you're you know, involved in it yourself. Exactly, because you have to sort of like, like, you like exactly what you said, it's it's a different knowledge and different understanding when you not only have to understand that like specific subject or whatever it is you're going to teach, but how do you like actually have it reach other people so they understand it as well? It's, it's a concept that a lot of people get going to education don't think about as much. They're like, oh, I'm passionate about this subject. I can teach it. And that's great. Like that is the first step when you're actually educating others is that passion, that place of, you know, that, like I said, that, that care of what you're, what you're teaching. But you also, there's, there's the sort of other skill of relaying it to other people. And, and that can be difficult. It's not, it's not an easy yeah. process to, to sort of manage. Absolutely. I mean, there's entire master's programs dedicated to pedagogy, which is literally just the study of how to teach. I just finished So, <laughs> you know, that's something that can be a huge learning curve for someone like me who had no you know, prior experience or no knowledge that I would even be interested in teaching at some point um, to kind of get through that. I actually currently work for a company called Best Delegate with the Model United Nations Institute. And what they do is teach kids in middle and high school how to debate similar to the United Nations, how to do research on foreign policy, how to debate um, and write policy papers from the perspective of different countries or sometimes characters as well. Um, so that's something I've really enjoyed doing. Um, I've been a competitive delegate on my own college Model UN team for three years. So I've won awards at Harvard, at Columbia, at UChicago. 
that's been something that's really enriched my college experience. And now getting to kind of pass that information on has been extremely rewarding for me because I see these kids, they're 10, 11, 12 years old, and they're tackling these incredibly complex issues. Like, I mean, insane things like nuclear disarmament or uh, gender and sexuality-based violence in foreign countries. Like, things that a normal 12-year-old is not even comprehending or thinking about. And they're just going above and beyond my expectations. And, you know, just being able to touch them in a way positively that will help the trajectory of their academic career moving forward is just so amazing for me. Well, even just, I mean, aside from all the information and those types of the things that you're teaching, which is amazing. I mean, I don't even know about half the things you're talking about either or <laughs> as much of um, knowledge as I have. But in, in terms of like the skills, like research skills, knowing how to like not only like what are what is a credible source how do you find quality information because we are in such a day and age right now where there is a lot of misinformation and that is like at the root like i've talked to adults that like well like i'm and i'm in a debate with an, with an adult and i in and, and literally they're you know sending me oh well read this article this says this and i'm like <laughs> it's like the onion <laughs> my, yeah i'm like my man this is a blog. This is not a credible source. This, there's this is an opinion. <laughs> this is an opinion, exactly. So I think that there is, and that's this, I think that's been in essence one of the problems with, with our society today is that exactly where, you know, there is so much, we are in the information age, which is fantastic. You can find any sort of information you want at the click of a button, just the skill-based stuff, being able to sort of recognize like, you know, what's a good source and what, what is proper research takes takes skills it takes time to understand that and i think a lot of adults don't know it so if you can teach that at a younger younger grade i mean that's in younger age that's even better so that way they they know what they're doing what they're talking about and then yeah. the, the ability to debate too that's a skill like that's a to be able to back your argument up with evidence right i mean that's mm -hmm. like you know any any high school student hearing this right now is probably getting triggered but like the, you, you <laughs> it's, it's it's important stuff it really is yeah and i think it's interesting um how much they benefit it benefit from this type of learning mm -hmm. because they're not getting all of this information in their own schools i mean they're not getting negotiation skills at school you know, they're not getting interpersonal relationship building skills at school. They're not getting policy development skills at school. I mean, that's something that you really think about in the higher education realm. But to give these kids an opportunity to develop that interest so young will just make them 10 times more equipped to handle it when they are on the real world stage. For sure. Absolutely. I think that that's a great point. And I, I, like I said earlier, just I think the younger, the better in terms of with some of these things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's a certain age where that caps. I think maybe like I think 10 is, is, is a good age to start teaching them these things. But they can't they can't get to me and not know how to research and not how to know how to, you know, doing it, do all these kind of these basic level yeah. things. So that way they can get to, you know, high school and be able to do an annotated bibliography and do a proper research paper or not or even even smaller than that, you know, just developing a solid argument right a concise argument yeah. that makes sense and that's rooted in factual information and where to find that information it's all very important i'm really glad that you especially as an as a musician and as an artist are taking the time to do that so from from educators everywhere we thank you because people like you are <laughs> definitely you. helping us out no question about it <laughs> absolutely that's why i love yeah, no doubt. And so what's so specifically um, like what do you what does your class kind of look like? I know it's online right now, but, you know, how has that kind of been process been sort of being, having to like teach online? 
Oh, so actually, um, I was more so teaching full-time over the summer. Oh, okay. And in the past months, uh, last semester and this semester, what we've been doing is hosting online conferences to facilitate the debates that these kids are going to. So basically, in the summer program, um, I was teaching online. It was pretty challenging, just kind of like dipping my feet in the water in that way. But I also think that it helped me develop um, more pedagogical skills that would have kind of been... Uh, in, in ro- involved with more anxiety had I been in person in front of those kids. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think it was an easier transition in a sense, even though it was harder to keep them engaged. So it's really give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, there's different things that you just have to kind of know to do, like throwing a game or an activity in the middle of a really long lecture, just kind of getting them to want to respond again after being silent for two hours can be a huge challenge. Um, and now with these online conferences that we're hosting, obviously it's a competition, it's kind of to build your competitive edge, but it still has definitely an air of being educational and kind of holding their hand along the way if they do need the help and being there as a resource rather than as a critic. And I think that is a really good line to draw as well, especially in an online space. Um, there's a thing called Zoom fatigue. I'm sure we've all been having it, especially if you're a student and a teacher at the same time. Um, so I understand exactly where they're coming from because I'm also going through the same exact things. So I just try to think what I would want if I was a student at their age during a Zoom lecture that I think is going on for way too long. Maybe I want something to, you know, spice it up a little bit. For sure, for sure. You got you. you I, the musician thing, I think, is going to work out for you. But lo, <laughs> lo and behold, if it doesn't, I think you have a great future in education. I would, I would, I would. If, if like I said, if the music thing doesn't work out, totally strive for that. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> no, I really do. I think you got a great mind for it, and and you really you, you know what you're talking about. And even if, even though you haven't, I mean, I have a master's in this stuff, and <laughs> for you to not have any sort of pedagogical experience, and I have no formal training. <laughs> you have a good understanding of what makes these kids sick, but I think that's the important thing: is they recognize that you're there to like make that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my brother does something similar. He works for IDA Math, and it's very similar. Like he works with, he has no experience teaching either, but it's a program where for you know kids that want that are more higher achieving in like math and science. And he, it's the same thing. Like I can hear him, like even on his, some of his Zoom calls, he's probably gonna hate, kill me for saying this on on, on, <laughs> on air. But you know, just I hear him, like you know, talking to his students and that good rapport and that good nature. Like it's so mm-hmm. important these days that these kids, as you said, look at you as a. I think a resource is a good word that you said, and, mm-hmm. and because I think a lot of young kids, and I think I, I, both of us probably grew up this way, but sort of seeing our teachers as critics like you said like oh am i right about this or am i wrong and that's not the point right like i mean it's and that's what i think what we're starting to get away from but it's it's you already have that down so hey i don't know get (laughs) if if, like i said music thing if it's uh if it it doesn't if it doesn't shape up for you i think you got a bright future in education but you definitely (laughs) you definitely got a bright future in music and i want to get to that in just a second but my last question on this topic is i want to you are very passionate about world issues, as I can tell. And some of the things in my research, I was looking on you. I know how to do my research as well. Of course. Um, you know, you're very, you're very passionate about climate change and natural disasters, amongst some of the other topics you were mentioning, like, um, like racial or um, gender uh, violence in other countries and things of that nature. So, you know, talk to me about some, maybe a few of these world issues that you're like really passionate about and, and sort of what your aim is to, to, to maybe raise awareness or 
change some of these things because again, these are very complex issues. But um, you know, there are things we can do, small things we can do every day to, to change some of them. But uh, so tell tell me a little bit about um, you know, like I said, a few few world issues you're very passionate about and how you're sort of navigating that. Absolutely. Um, thank you for asking about that. Uh, I think one of the biggest issues that especially people in my generation, your generation are going to be facing is the issue of sustainability. I think a lot of people are kind of starting to wake up to the fact that we don't have hundreds of years left of living in the way that we're living. We barely have probably another century like this. So we really need to kind of hunker down as a society and hold people at the top accountable. I think accountability is the number one buzzword for this topic. Everyone wants to speak about holding yourself personally accountable, and I think that's extremely important to a degree if you can influence yourself, your family, your friends around you. But it's also about um, holding corporations accountable in the way that they developed products. And in doing so, I mean, you know, there's a lot of power in your finances and where you're putting them. So not supporting companies that aren't acting sustainably, not supporting companies that are doing things that are bad for the environment. I think um, the power of the consumer is almost greater than our power as individually becoming more sustainable. I think they're important to do simultaneously, but if we're not necessarily putting our money where our mouth is and you know, doing little things like cutting out single-use plastics, but at the same time, we're still supporting fast fashion, you're not getting to the root of the problem mentally and psychologically. And I think people want to feel instantly gratified by using a paper straw instead of, you know, making the long-term commitment to avoiding some corporations that might never change their sustainability practices. And I know I'm not perfect. Like, I still shop at fast fashion locations from time to time but I'm actively trying to incorporate more secondhand garments into my wardrobe, um, items that will have more longevity, things that don't fall apart at the seams. And I think the, another problem is um, in the fashion industry, clothing is made to such a low standard uh, of wearability that within a season, things will either go out of fashion or break down to the point that you can no longer use them. So there's it's a multi-layered issue, um, but I think it really starts with holding the companies that make these products accountable. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you say that because I was watching, um, this was a little while ago, so I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I, I was really fascinated by Hassan Minash's uh, Patriot Act on Netflix because he talks a lot about some of these issues in more of a, I guess, um, relatable or digestible fashion but he was mentioning i think he had an episode uh, exactly what you're talking about fast fashion and i remember there was like this astronomical amount of water that we don't even realize that like it actually takes to make clothing like i yeah. i didn't even think about it. i think it was like it was like hundreds of gallons of water for like only like a handful of shirts or something crazy like that yeah uh, i don't, I don't want to uh, get my, my my numbers wrong but it's it's i encourage people to to like, I, I need to do more as, as you're talking I'm drinking a freaking plastic bottle like I it, it's you're right but these things we don't think about it's subconscious it's subconscious yeah. at this point right like I, I, I did fill this up I swear but like either way that's like, fair that's fair <laughs> and like I honestly I don't think the judgment should be necessarily placed on the individual that's not to say take your hands off the wheel and don't care right. like still recycle still try to take public transportation if you can like reduce your use of single-use items 
But at the same time, like, we have to think about it as a societal and governmental issue because individuals, while we can create grassroots movements to pressure corporations, we don't physically have the manpower to make the kind of changes that we need to make mm-hmm. as rapidly as we need to make them. Exactly, yeah. And there's another documentary I watched recently, uh, the most recent David Attenborough one, A Life on Our Planet, which I just blew my mind in so many ways. And he's, again, alluding to a lot of the things. I mean, he's this is, he's spent a, a life a lifetime, you know, dedicating himself to these types of issues. And yeah. uh, one of the things, like, it, it just, it just it was, I was dumbfounded after watching that because I think it was, he had said something like, maybe we'll get another 70 to 100 years living the way we are like if that like it might not even be that long and um you know not to scare anybody but it just it does it it, the urgency is there and i think we're at that point Mm -hmm. um if you're you're not kind of on board with the climate change thing right now i don't i think you're i don't know (laughs) you might be getting left behind with that like it's 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 a thing it's here it's happening we i agree it's it's i think that there's i mean we even just today we had a um we had a meeting after school. I was telling you a little bit about how crazy my Monday's been too. But we had a we had a, um, a faculty meeting after school, and actually a lot of the meeting we were talking about um, students were actually presenting this, and I was really fascinated by this. They're presenting um, a charging station potentially, or a couple charging stations, and and the urgency to maybe try to get people to not only the people that are already driving cars that are sustainable on on electricity and energy, but um, maybe encouraging more people to to invest in cars that that are you know. On, that run on electric, even if it's a little bit more uh, difficult to find a charging station, right? Like, I think things like that, if we make them more uh, readily accessible, like something as simple as that, I mean, if we can take one gas car off the road, it's it'll help. It's something, yeah. you know what I mean? There's, we're losing Absolutely. those emissions, you know? It's But again, you're right, it's hard because it is a lot of it, I mean, up to the consumer, it can be up, uh, but it, it's past that as well. It's It's the... And in a lot of these places, a lot of these corporations, they it's it's a money it's a money machine. It's 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 mm-hmm. it's you know just the capitalism of of America is how it's not to say that it's wrong necessarily, but there needs to be a fine line there. We need to figure out because if we can't sustain ourselves, and nobody's gonna be on this planet at some point, and, and yeah, it, all the know. money in the world can't buy a new planet. That's no, we really can't. what it comes down to. No, we can't. And, I mean, I think if consumers, like, dedicate themselves as a base to kind of pressure corporations, at least one way or another, even if it's not out of the kindness of their hearts, it'll be out of the kindness of their wallets Mm -hmm. that they'll want to bend to the will of the consumer one way or another. And something fascinating in that documentary, too, that I'm just thinking about that he was mentioning was the earth... Like the earth won't necessarily go away. Like it's just, it's, it was almost like he was using this analogy of like, we're almost cancerous to the earth where it's like, it's going to be unsustainable for us to live on. And eventually the earth will like heal itself. We are, we're literally killing, not killing the planet, but we are, you know, making it unsustainable for ourselves. And eventually the planet will heal because it's been here for however long it's been. It's, it's, and there was another interesting thing. I think it was Chernobyl. At the very end of that mm. documentary, if anyone's not seen it, where Chernobyl it was like around 40 years ago, had that crazy explosion and people had to yeah. evacuate and because of the power plant. And he went back there now and there's actually all this wildlife and vegetation all of a sudden, 40 years later, like mm. embedded into all of the, um, the, the rubble, which is unbelievable yeah. to like think about and, and to see that. It was like, because I've always thought like when I've heard Chernobyl, I've always thought of the destruction, but never really thought about what, it, what it's like now. And, the regrowth. And yeah. there is regrowth there, exactly. So what does that say? That says that 
you know, this earth will be here long after we're gone, whether we're here and like whether the human race is here or not. So it's yeah, we- that's that's true. And that's something that's really hard to kind of accept mm. um, because accept. I, I think as like a self-aware species, we oftentimes feel like the world was created for us. Mm-hmm. But we just kind of got lucky and ended up here, so exactly. we need to take care of it. Yep. It's not like uh, Matthew McConaughey's Interstellar where we can just go find another planet that's inhabitable, <laughs> so it's not It's not going to happen. That movie is so sad. That movie is sad. Isn't it really sad? It's really it's depressing. It's really depressing, yeah. One of his better uh, acting jobs, in my opinion, but definitely. Yeah. And I, I love Christopher Nolan, but we're getting we're getting too off topic. I definitely want to <laughs> talk. We've we've been talking. Listen, this is this has been amazing, by the way, because we haven't said we've been this is a music podcast. We haven't spoken a word about your music yet, because you're doing so many amazing. I know, things. I know. We need to get back to the music. The music. I know. We got it. We got to Maybe we'll fit in a little bit of music here. Maybe just maybe just a little <laughs> bit. We are the turntable teachers, though, so educational things like this are obviously important. Past that, but you're here to obviously talk about some of your music, which just as impressive of a resume as your college resume and what you're doing outside of that and and just in just your life uh you've had some singles that have done numbers my friend oh my goodness you have some (laughs) songs that are just going crazy right now whether the videos are getting hitting a million streams on on uh, or views excuse me on uh on youtube or some of the songs that are getting hundreds of thousands of plays on spotify and things of that nature i mean I, i guess i'll start first with your latest single cherry on top which I really actually the first song that I heard of yours that and I'm really enjoying a lot. Um, describe to me the creative process of this song and what inspired you, and then of course the reaction that you've received from it now that it's it's hit the airwaves and doing really great great things right now. I'm trying to see if we can get closer. Baby, tell me I'm the cherry on top. Got the sugar, gonna make your teeth rot. Treat you wanna eat me all up when the mountain is too sweet, you can't stop. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's um, it was a super fun song for me to make. I actually wrote it um, towards the end of quarantine, beginning of the summer, and I was collaborating with my producer, Track Dilla, who produced the track. Uh, he's an incredible artist himself, incredible producer. He's worked with Post Malone, Tyga, a bunch of other artists. So he's um, super well renowned around. Um, the Los Angeles, Hollywood area, just kind of in the music industry overall. Um, So it's been a pleasure to work with him, and he's kind of served as an industry mentor for me as well, so I've loved working with him. Um, That collaborative process was pretty much all remote, uh, just given the nature of the situation we were in at the time, but I did get a chance to meet him um, in September or October, I believe, when I did relocate to Los Angeles, so that was awesome as well. Um, this the song itself had a really ridiculous kind of origin story um, He sent me a bunch of different tracks to listen to I chose that one loved it immediately kind of came up with this melody idea Didn't know what the title would be yet or anything like that But I did take this photo of myself um, and I had half blonde half pink hair that I dyed myself over quarantine because why not Um, And I had brown roots growing in in the top and I photoshopped a little cherry on my head because to me I looked like Neapolitan ice cream because it was like pink brown and blonde and I was like, okay Like I I was feeling the little ice cream vibe So then I was like cherry on top and that picture inspired the title. That's awesome. Wow. 
your your hairdo yeah. of all things or not or, I know, or the way you call I know. your hair. I so mean funny. I'm a very visual person. I'm a visual learner, visual creator. Yes. So um, having that like photograph influence the title kind of took the rest of the trajectory of the song. Like it has ice cream references, it's very sweet, sugary. Um, but it also has a lot of double entendres, so it's it's very fun. Well, I think a lot, yeah. Well, not to j- jump to another song, but first of all, that that's a great story. I love I love that story <laughs> of, of of the cherry on top and things like that. But I think a lot of your songs have that sort of like feel like very um, centered around some kind of topic that can be interpreted as maybe something fun, but then also something a little bit deeper as well. Like you have, of course, uh, Trick or Treat and songs like FaceTime. Um, what's what's been like? a song for you that has been one of your favorites to to do so far in your your very early career, of course. I think Trick or Treat was really fun for me because it was the first song that I ever completely self-produced. So I've, you know, been learning how to use Logic, um, how to just work in that digital audio workspace, how to mix and master. I'm starting that process between this semester and next semester with different classes. But really, I've grown a lot as a producer in the past uh, two years here at school. And that's been an incredible asset for me, especially as a songwriter, because now I feel like I can truly pull out the sounds that I want to pull out when I'm writing my music. And it just um, highlights everything that I want to hear. It's a lot easier than kind of telling someone, well, I want something that goes like, like that's just so much harder than just getting it yourself and knowing how to find those sounds. So um, that was a huge accomplishment for me, just fully self-producing, self, uh, just writing that entire song. Um, I would say I write like 98% of all my music, unless it's like fully a collaboration. But the production side of things is something I've always had someone come on board for. So it's awesome that I was able to do everything start to finish on that track. And then as well, the video, I co-produced with my mom. She directed it. We sourced all the wardrobe ourselves. Um, My best friends were in the video. So it was definitely... Uh, all hands on deck kind of do-it-yourself experience and that was amazing for me too to just take ownership of my art and really put forward the vision that I wanted for that video beautiful and I love that because you were like you said you were able to put everything that you wanted incorporated into that there was like you got the full autonomy of that and that's I think amazing especially in the industry that is the music industry that can be a little bit not like that all the time. We'll just I'll just put it that way. Uh, one of our past guest speaker episodes of TJ Hickey, we talked a lot about that. So if you want to hear some, uh, I would say bashing of the music industry, but maybe just, just <laughs> music industry conversation, go check that out, uh, that previous episode in our catalog. But either way, uh, I again another uh, great song as well. I trick or treat especially. I really enjoy that. Again, I like the just the quirkiness and sort of the. Um, you know, just just the, the the cool attitude you put into your music and, and the charisma, I guess, is the, is the best word, not attitude. Charisma, I think, is the best word uh, to describe it. And, and it really kind of comes off in your music. And also, I'm very happy to hear that you're able to utilize what you're learning in school and apply it to your creative process. That's amazing. And yeah, that's yeah. definitely a higher education element. I'll say that. For sure. To say the least. For sure. No question. <laughs> a lot more direct transfer from education to life. You got it. You um, got it. But I, it's been amazing because I feel like some things were kind of refreshers for my time in high school because I did go to a performing arts high school. So I majored in classical piano and um, jazz guitar while still kind of songwriting on the side and being in a rock band at the same time. It was a lot. I've always had a lot going on, I will say. Um, <laughs> but then by the time on. I graduated, I was like, 
no, I really want to focus on songwriting, production, um, pop music, just kind of like going in one direction and sticking to it. And that's been incredibly fruitful for me, just having that focus and having all the classes around me really add to that. It's beautiful. I, I love it. You're saying a lot of amazing things. And uh, I, I guess this would be a sort of a teaching pedagogy. I can't believe I'm asking this question <laughs> about 40 minutes into this interview, roughly 30 minutes into this interview. But uh, we will call this um, backwards pedagogy. Uh, UDL is what we call this in, in, uh, in teaching. But I want to talk about your early stages in your career and not only your early stages in your career, but early stages of your life with music, because it sounds to me like you have some parents that are not only very supportive of your music career, but they had maybe one of their own even or they've been in, involved so you know tell me like your early life with music you know how did you sort of get into you know the, I guess a passion of, of creating music and, and where does that all kind of stem from yeah so my parents um both worked in the industry my mom worked for sony for several years my dad um ran a label for reggaeton hip-hop artists so he's just kind of they both danced around the entertainment industry for a long time but they actually kind of left the industry and i dragged them back into it when they moved on to other things <laughs> so i was like no, no no we're gonna we're gonna revisit this time hold out. on we're gonna get me back um, over here <laughs> yeah but um i was never really like expected to do music it was just kind of whatever i wanted to explore but i fell in love with it from literally birth pretty much like i would start singing around the house when i was like two or three i started piano lessons when i was three guitar when i was nine um and then ended up at a performing arts high school picking up a couple other instruments along the way just on the side kind of experimenting so I have always had this great love of music and it's really just been bolstered by my parents, not really like influenced by them. Okay. So they've shown me a lot of amazing classics. Like I grew up listening to Prince, Michael Jackson, um, Cher, just like amazing, amazing artists. So I always kind of knew like the good stuff. And then um, my mom also has a background in loving like punk rock and like grunge music. And I grew up loving like post-hardcore and like heavy metal um so i i have a lot of that like dichotomy as well even though i'm a pop artist i still have a great love and appreciation for so many other genres um so that's been a huge asset for me also knowing the ins and outs of different genres like even having that experience as a jazz guitarist has influenced me in writing kind of diversifying my musical language when i'm writing songs i like that's a great answer too first of all and uh so it's really cool that your parents uh you dragged them back into things i, I love i, love I did yeah, i did yeah. they were probably <laughs> like screaming i need to i need to get out of this industry and then you're like hold that thought hold that hold that yeah thought. <laughs> they were out for like 10 years and then it was over <laughs> that's so great i love it uh, but that's really cool that you again that they didn't necessarily like force you to do anything you just kind of were you just really just enamored with it and and that just again shows yeah. shows your passion for it It was like a happy accident <laughs> that's good though it's good and it's 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 very uh it's very coincidental that you know they were in the industry for so long and then all of a sudden that happened so are they are they musically inclined or are they just more or less like are they just in the industry because you said uh they were both like very much on the business side of things okay, so not really um, like creative side. my mom actually has a lot of vocal training okay. but she never really wanted to like be an artist in the industry Got it. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm the first instrumentalist in the family. Love it. Very good. Yeah, you play quite a few instruments, which is awesome too. And that's that's. I think that's just good for you to get that experience early on and be around it. And now you're learning again, like mixing and mastering and engine the engineering side of things, of producing. That's that's awesome. 
um, the do-it-yourself yeah. thing is really, I think, important, especially in the day and age, because you're going to save yourself a boatload of money on, you know, sending it out to get mixed and mastered or, you know, whatever else like that. Like, that's just, it's good that you can do it in-house um, and use your skill sets that you've grown grown up with, basically. I mean, you're, you were born for this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's awesome. And, and, I, and I love the musical influences, too, with, with Prince and, and Cher and Michael Jackson. Like, I had a mother the same thing where... Um, of course, as people are looking at my wall, I definitely like my fair share of hip hop. Um, oh, I love hip hop. Oh. I love hip hop. It's my favorite genre. Oh, to listen yeah. To. I, I can tell by, by your music that you, you definitely dabble into hip hop and that you enjoy hip hop. Um, but I, I grew up on like Fleetwood Mac. I grew up on Luther Vandross. Uh, Elton, Ooh, yes. Elton John was a big one in my household. Oh. We, yeah, we loved Elton John around here. And then I uh, definitely got into the grunge, grunge stuff, too, because my mom was into it. Like, she was really into Pearl Jam. She loved Collective Soul was another one. I don't know if you've ever heard mm. of them. They were great. I used to listen to them all the time back as a kid. But um, And I think that's – and then I got into hip-hop. I kind of went down that field. But I always have that kind of grassroots as well where mm. I always have to go back to that stuff every once in a while, even though I do love hip-hop. Of course. But I do. I've definitely got to go back to back to some of that stuff. Prince is excellent. At least oh, yeah, he's he's just such a well-rounded musician. It's insane. It's insane. It really is. It's 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 unbelievable. I'll never forget his halftime show, pouring rain, oh. Super Bowl, like just just yeah. shredding the guitar. Like this dude is unbelievable. Um, what what uh, hip hop artists are you into? Like who are you listening to right now? Like what's a uh, what's what's it, if I was going your Spotify or Apple Music? What do you uh, what do you what are you listening to? What's in rotation? Um, I love Amine. He's definitely my favorite artist. Um, I'm actually wearing merch sweatpants from him right now. Kind I know exactly. What, are, they, are they the ones from the previous album? The, the, the green ones? Uh, they're Limbo from Limbo. his current, his most recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And they're the new design where it's look, it looks like the Range Rover logo, but it says Limbo Rover. Sweet. I wonder if there's some like copyright issues with that, but it's a great logo. So <laughs> I'm living for it. I also have a limbo sticker on my laptop, which is kind of funny, but uh, I think he's an incredible artist just because his visual branding is so, uh, you know, specific to who he is and how he's also comedic as a rapper. And I think that shines through all of his videos, all of his lyrics, just his persona overall. He seems like someone you would run into like at a supermarket and like have a hilarious conversation with. Like he doesn't seem like the type of person who would be like too cool to be seen with you. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So I think that show shines through a lot in his work. And one thing I really admire about his videos is that he's self-directed a lot of them and he includes all of his best friends um, from childhood and like later in life also in his videos. So I think that's really cool. And you do the same thing. So that's- uh, I do the same thing, that yeah. Awesome, that's great. No, I, I I will admittedly say that until Limbo, I wasn't really like super into his music, but there was definitely uh, songs on that album that I really enjoyed. Like I'm a huge, like I love Slow Tie. I love Denzel Curry. So like those types mm, yes, of artists that, yes. um, you know, that he was working with on that project, I, I, I definitely got behind. And um, he's, 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 he's one that I don't think a lot of like, doesn't get as much recognition as he necessarily deserves either. Right. He's not like super in the limelight. He's not like, I mean, if you're an underground, yeah. if you're a hip hop fan, like a, like a kid for the culture, you know, I mean, right. I mean, that's not, yeah. but there's not really in terms of like 
um, like radio and, and mainstream. He's not like super mm-hmm. in that light quite yet. But yeah, it's interesting to me because he is so so incredibly popping off on social media and yeah. like he kind of made the crossover from like underground to like more mainstream. I say in the past two years mm-hmm. because I've been listening to him since 2017. So. Uh, I kind of, like, saw the come up, which was cool to see. It is cool to see that. And, and like, he was featured as, like, one of Vivo's breakout artists of, like, 2018 mm-hmm. or 2019. And that also, like, pushed him more into the spotlight. Um, I just think, really, the thing is that a lot of artists, like, that are really in the mainstream in hip-hop right now have a very similar style. Mm-hmm. And he's a little more, like different than what is happening right now but i think his music is so amazing it's like kind of living in its own space which in and of itself is becoming an asset because i think he's getting more of a fan base for being a little different and in this oversaturated just market market, exactly like that is to have something proprietary like that that when you hear it you're like oh that's, you know it's him. That's him, or or that's this artist. So this like that is huge to not have to send. Like again, hear the just the cookie cutter stuff that's all out there. You know what I mean? You want that exactly. I I also think um, Ash Nico is another artist that's kind of doing that in I guess like the alternative pop trap lane. I'm not really sure how to categorize her to be honest, um, but she had a breakout TikTok hit Daisy. And that song really, like, just catapulted her to the forefront of more of a mainstream. But her visuals are so, uh, you know, alternative and dark and graphic. And I think that's something that really sets her apart mm-hmm. in an awesome way. Uh, because you don't want to see, you know, copies of the same type of artist. And I think this next generation of artists are really thinking outside the box with their branding. And that's something that I really love to see. That's huge. Is, is that something that you focus on? Like, is there something you think about a lot is, is like your branding and, and, and things of that nature? Yeah, I think it's just important to have something that's distinctly yours, um, whether that's a niche musically or visually or something that you love to do that you want to share with people. I think all of those things are super important in defining a career. Definitely. I, For sure. I agree. I agree. I think any any opportunity you can get to stand out and, and make yourself like kind of separate from a pack um, is, is, is very important. And especially, like I said, in this in this day and age where there's a lot of uh, def- definitely a lot of oversaturation in a lot of things. Uh, that's awesome. I, I love that answer. I thought you a lot of great artists there. And I, uh, who was who was the last one you had mentioned though? Because I've never I haven't heard of her. I'm gonna have to check. Uh, her. Ash Nico. Ash Nico. A S H N I K K. I'm gonna have to. That's that's my homework after this is to t- check yeah. out some Ash Nico because I don't I'm not familiar with her work. But and then that's a beautiful thing too. Like there's so much out there, right? Again, this is coming from the music head. Doesn't know who Ash, Ash Nico is. Is probably people listening to this right now. Thinking like, what do you mean? You've never heard of that person. <laughs> That's, but it's, I love that. My, my co-host and I, we uh, when we do um, when we do music reviews, we, we laugh because when we like, he, he had this actually really funny bit where he said, uh, he's like, the music head in me was again so thankful that you put me on to this artist. I think I put him on to um, the song was like uh, Lucky Day and Tiana Major Nine on Red. I'm not if you're familiar okay. with either of them. And uh, he was like the 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 um the music critic in me was excited that you put me onto this but the music head in me is pissed that i didn't find it myself you know so it's like it's, 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 <laughs> no exactly i love um discovering music and new artists i have an entire playlist called current creators and it's literally just like up and coming uh singer songwriters pop artists mm-hmm. hip-hop artists like i love finding people like that i have like a little a little bit of a and r in me i would say there you go hey well i think you get that too as well from your from your uh from your folks for sure i think that there's there's yeah. definitely some of that in there no doubt 
Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, no question. <laughs> um, so I wanted to also just a couple other questions for you. Uh, I definitely wanted to talk about your recent interview on Fox 5. So a little bit... Uh, Higher up, I would say, than, than the turntable teachers where you're on now. But, oh, no. Or, or in terms of popularity, <laughs> I mean, we're not Fox, but um, what was it like for you? Of course, this is pre-recorded, so, like, you know, there's no pressure. But what was it like for you? I was even seeing the video um, of you, like, beforehand. You were like, oh, my God, I'm about to go on live TV. Like, they told me, like, it was, like, 712 or whatever it was. Like, yeah. it's 710 or I don't remember exactly, like, off the top of my head. But I was yeah, cracking up laughing. it was laughing. like two minutes late and I was like so you nervous. You were probably like, oh, was, it's the worst. I just, I kept refreshing and refreshing. <laughs> Long, longest two minutes of your life probably, right? Like, I'm yes, supposed to go and on. Yes, and I was like, am I ready? Is my hair okay? Like, is this happening? <laughs> it was just crazy. It's but crazy. Um, yeah. It was definitely surreal to think about like, this is live TV. This is like actual television. And like with the internet, it can feel like a little bit of a divide between like something going on YouTube or Instagram or social media, something that I could do myself versus like TV. Like I don't have access to just put something on TV myself. So it's like, it's another level of almost like verification. And I'm like, oh wow, that's like a boundary that I've kind of like just crossed. And it's really, it was crazy. It was really cool. Um, and it was also so quick. Yeah. Like literally the segment was like five minutes and I was like, whoa, I felt like I had whiplash. I was like, okay, that's it. Cool. I was like, I hope my answers were good enough. Thanks. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. And uh, my interviewer, Jason was awesome. Um, lots of energy. Like it was super exciting and positive. Yeah, it, it seemed that way, and it feels so. Was it uh, just to refresh my memory? Was it like your? It was a local Fox news station, I believe. Was yeah. it in? Was it in Nevada? Is that correct? Is that where you're from? Or? It was in Las Vegas. In Vegas. Yeah, I'm not from Las Vegas, but okay. uh, they ended up being interested in featuring me on the show just okay. because they've seen the music videos kind of like blowing up, and they were like, "Oh, this would be super cool," just like a f little five minute segment. Mm -hmm. So then they put me on. I was yeah, again, I wasn't sure if like you were from that area or something like that, and they were. I, they made it kind of almost seem that way. They're like, oh, this is like a, an artist that we're up and coming <laughs> artist from. I thought they had said from the area, but I guess not. Where did you grow up in around the L.A. area? Like, where'd you grow up originally? I actually grew up in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Oh, so you're out. You're out. East Coast then. Oh, out oh here. yeah. Oh, okay. I'm an East Coast you're an girl. East Coast I'm girl. an East Coast girl. Okay. But I, I, I've fallen in love with Los Angeles, but I'll never betray New York City. Like, New York City is my birthplace. It's my number one girl. Like... I've always been a New York girl, and I see myself living there at some point. I know LA is like where my career is taking me right now, and I love the city. I cannot wait to move there, um, but I see myself settling in New York for a time. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, right. So, well, you're going to school in on the East Coast, so I guess uh, you are you are traditionally an East Coast girl. You'll, you'll make your way back here eventually. Yeah. You do your thing in LA for sure. I, I I think that's great, and you'll you'll get back out here soon. Of course. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're obviously an East Coast based podcast for Massachusetts, but a little, a little bit of a clash with New York every once in a while. But, you know, you know here and there. <laughs> we're not going to talk about sports because then it's going to get ugly. We don't need to talk about it's okay. it. OK. <laughs> yeah, I don't even need to know your your affiliations because I'm sure uh, they're not they're not close to mine. And I don't think anyone that's not from the New England area doesn't want to hear doesn't want to hear us talk about. Talk about sports. Yeah, there, we, there's, there's no such thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, because like I mean, I've I've been spoiled. We've been. I mean, being the age I'm, I'm 27, so I've I've lived through quite a few championships and don't need to don't need nobody needs to hear any more of that. So people are finally happy that we're we're losing. Like all of our sports teams kind of stink this year. So. I mean, Rip Brady. That's all I have to say. <laughs> my heart, my heart. It hurts every time. It hurts every time. It was such. It was so. He tough. came to Florida. I, of all of places, all places he went to Florida. I was. I was. I stunned. mean. I mean, if you were him, of course you'd want to like come live in beautiful, yeah. sunny Florida. I would have done it ten years ago. Mm. You know. Okay. I would. Okay. I would have done it. I would have done it ten years before he did. So I don't blame him for what he did. I'm not. I'm not one of these people that's out here like. Ah, like fuck Brady. Like that's not me. It's not me at all. Um, I'm happy with what he's doing, obviously. But uh, it, it, it's just sad for me. That's all. It's just a. It's just a little depressing. That's all. You know. But no, no I one get feels it. bad it's for me. So it's fine. Definitely a change. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, maybe I'm a little resistant to change. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> we think we all are just a little bit in our own in our definitely, in our own definitely. way, no doubt. Uh, so one of my last questions I have for you before my like my final big question. Uh, that I ask every artist that comes on this show. It's always my favorite one to ask. But I totally want to talk to you a little bit too about, you know, what else you maybe want your fans and your audience to know about you or like overall, like what's going to be, you know, I, I know you're early on in your career right now, but do you think about long-term like legacy things, like what you want ultimately, like what message you want to send with your music or what, um, you know, ideas you want to convey during your time as, as a musician? Absolutely. I think um, one of my biggest long-term goals is to work in a similar way that Leonardo DiCaprio has with his platform. Um, Like we were talking about earlier, climate change and sustainability is something that's super important to me. And I would like to start a nonprofit at some point in my career, wherever it feels right, um, that really touches upon the intersection between sustainability and the music industry. And I think that's something, that's a conversation that not many people are focusing on. Obviously, the music industry is very entertainment-based, so we're here to entertain the masses, we're here to produce content, we're here to work on new material, but I think it's also important to kind of think about the longevity of this as an industry. Not only, um, you know, marketing-wise and, like, digitally how technology is changing things, but also uh, on the ground. Like, how are concerts being held? How can they reduce their electricity usage? How can they reduce their use of single-use plastics? On a world tour, think about how many things are thrown away from concessions. Think about packaging of merchandise from artists Mm -hmm. on tour. I mean, these are things that aren't really being discussed or cared about as much as I think that they should be. And, you know, it's important to hold industries responsible and not just point the finger but also provide solutions so that's kind of where i want to kind of step in at some point in my career where it feels right and purposeful to do so yeah i wasn't even considering something like that where like if you're at a venue how many like plastic cups are being thrown away like just from from concessions or drinks like I mean, you could even take that into the entertainment industry as a whole, like not even music. You could yeah. talk about that with sports. I mean, movie like, theaters, movie anything, theaters. Yeah, sports all events. Of, all of it. No, it, you said it definitely begs the question in the conversation and not something that I don't think a lot of people consider. Not something I consider when I go to a concert. That's for damn sure. So it's, it's certainly uh, – and I'm glad that you're – even at the age you're at and where you're at in your life, you're thinking about these things. It's really important, and, and that's a profound thing that – you're very wise beyond your years. I, I, I definitely uh, will, will give Thank you that. You. No question. Of course, you're doing you're doing a really amazing job with your platform. And I think you're doing a great job of also entertaining, but also trying to get these these some some of these things, some of these changes that are necessary. Right. Um, and, and I think that 
overall, I, I think for you, I think you would, you would probably agree with this, but if you were able to change something like that in the industry, I think that would be more important than any song you ever put out. And that's, and if people remembered you for that, that's, that's a proprietary thing that, that a lot of people would, would get behind, I think, especially if that's like really a direction you want to go. So uh, huge props. I hope I wish you nothing but the best in that endeavor. I think I think uh, we're going to be looking back in a couple of years and, and, and looking at something like that with with uh, and you're going to be a huge part of it. So just congratulations with everything you've been doing and, and keep moving forward. I, I'm, I'm very impressed. Very impressed. Oh, thank you so much. And I think everybody listening to this right now for sure is as well. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you care about bigger issues. I think a lot of artists do care about a lot of bigger issues. I don't think it's necessarily like um, that they don't, um, but maybe like this specific issue isn't one that's being talked about, right? There's a lot of mm-hmm. racial and social issues that are being talked about in music, and that's great. I'm glad. Which are absolutely important, and I think that's amazing that artists are finally kind of using their platform for those issues as well. Mm-hmm. I think that is literally so important and something that hasn't been addressed before, at least not to this scale. Yeah, and and that is, I think, and especially with this pandemic, like we've i think understood like how important our artists are like whether they're on the indie level or and they just have a couple hundred you know listeners or where you're at where you have a couple hundred thousand listeners or somebody on drake's level that has millions it's like you 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 need to these are things that we can't really uh these are things that we can't necessarily ignore anymore right like they've been i mean so many artists have tried to talk about this for so long, even in the hip hop. I mean, look at NWA, like they were talking about this stuff in the eighties when like mm-hmm. in, in, in LA where there was deep seated issues with, you know, police brutality. And, and these, this is not a new conversation, right? A lot of these social and no. racial issues are, they're not new. Um, and it's, and it's important to have them, but you know, of course there's other issues in the world that we have to talk about as well. I recently saw a graphic um, where I, I can't quote the exact numbers, but it said something like, uh, being an artist is like one of the top five like most popular non-essential jobs, hmm. and I was interested in that because they had to hire a graphic artist to make the graphic. So <laughs> you can't really say that something like art is non-essential when it's a huge part of our daily lives. It's something we consume at every waking moment. Whether we're looking at social media and we see graphic art graphics, something going on on the news, an artist had to design you know, the color scheme or the text that was going on the screen. Exactly. You know, art is literally integrated in everything we do. So I also think that there's like a cultural shift from seeing art as something that we shy away from encouraging kids to do into being seen as a more viable profession long term. And I think that's something that's really great to look forward to. I, I think so, too. And, and I, I completely agree because there's I think and I was telling you a little bit off air, just I think that there's a this sort of push for kids to really go to college. Right. And I'm not sitting here suggesting that college is not a good thing. It did a lot of good things for me. It's clearly doing a lot of good things for you, but that might not be the avenue for everybody, right? There's so many other avenues and so many other things that we could be encouraging our kids to go do. Like, you know, to ask a 17, 18 year old kid what they want to do with the rest of their lives. That's, that's a huge, huge question. And I always tell my students, follow a passion of something you care about. And oftentimes it does have something to do with some form of creative um, you know, nature or art or anything like that. And, and, you know, we need to, or even as a side, side, um, side hustle or things like that. Like I have a student who makes unbelievable gra- like graphics, graphic, de- like unbelievable like graphic design 
for like athletes to the point where like the NFL was reaching out to him. I'm not kidding. This is a crazy story. Wow. The NFL was reaching out to him and he couldn't take the job because he wasn't 18. Oh, like, my isn't that gosh. crazy? So he like they were they're wow. reaching out. They're like, hey, like, this is amazing. Like, we'd love for you to work for us, blah, blah, blah. And he's like going through the process. And they're like, oh, you're only 16. Like, we can't hire you. You need to be 18. So it's just like things like that where and I've been telling yeah. him, I'm like, yo, push that. Like, keep going. Like, that's amazing. That's a calling. Like, that's someone to definitely call back in two years. Exactly. Like, don't forget about that contact. <laughs> exactly. That's incredible. Yeah. So it's it's in this day and age, our kids, you're seeing it too. Like, our kids are very resilient. There's kids here that yeah. are in this world that this day and age, this generation, they're resilient. I mean, they've gone through a pandemic. <laughs> I mean, granted, none of us have been through it, but, you know, we're a little bit older. That's a little bit, I think... In, in some ways easier for us to navigate kids it's a lot harder in, in, in a lot of ways and um I, just to see a lot of them still trying to be creative and resilient and i think them looking up to people like yourself as well and i think your, your kids seeing that like hey you know you can care about these issues and still do music you can care about these issues and, yeah. and, and things in the world and still be an athlete you can still be an artist you can still you know uh, do graphic design whatever it is that you want to do is a, as a passion how can you also not only spin that in, in a way that makes sense culturally and, and to make you know just better ourselves as humans but uh yeah that, that they don't have to necessarily be mutually exclusive we can do them together and that's an important important thing i think our our, our youth needs to realize you know and i think they're getting it too they can understand it Absolutely. Yeah. And that's marking a huge shift in how artists used to be seen, mm, you know, definitely. in mainstream media, you know, pretty much not allowed to have political opinions, not allowed to say these type of things about issues. Um, so now I think with the rise of social media that has been super pivotal in making that change happen. Yeah. All the shut up and dribble nonsense. Right. And and someone like Muhammad Ali, who went to prison for, for speaking out on things that like he believed, you know what I mean? And so like you said, yeah. there's there were pioneers that really like pushed ourselves like like someone like Muhammad Ali that to allow us to have these conversations now in that way to, to be socially acceptable and, and I'm glad that they are because if they weren't I, I think we would definitely not be in as good of a place and you know people you know people that have the platforms and the followings that they can reach as many people about these issues that's that's the I guess at the end of the day that is you know probably one of the most important things uh, for sure but um, listen, this has been an amazing conversation and very enlightening for me, for sure. I, I'm definitely going to be walking away from this with a lot to think about myself. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are as well. Jasmine Ortiz, you've been phenomenal on this episode. Thank you so much. You're not done quite yet, though. <laughs> this is, we'll consider this to keep it in pedagogical teaching since, you know, you know, what you're doing. I will consider this your exit ticket, if you will. Um. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, I've literally heard that from my manager. That is so that's funny. That's awesome. <laughs> that's too funny, though. Yeah, it's, yeah, exit tickets, that's a uh, often a pedagogical teaching thing that we uh, we often talk about. Anyway. But anyway. Yes. Our, for anyone that's uh, just coming on us for the first time that's a fan of Jasmine Ortiz, we do this thing over at the Turntable Teachers. We call it the Dream Song Scenario. Every artist that comes on this show... We ask them if they could make a song with anybody, dead or alive, who would they have? And I'll, and I'll give you some criteria here. You get a producer or two. Okay, so if you want like a combination of, of two producers, totally fine. You want a certain melody or like a, maybe a drum progression from another one. You can, you can mix and match. And then you get three guest artists on that song. So it's your song featuring three guest artists. And they can be anyone, dead or alive. 
don't even some people come on here and they're like i don't know how this would sound or how this would work all meshed <laughs> together it's not the point it's the dream song scenario you can do whatever it is you want so you can take all the time you need jasmine ortiz if you were to make mm. a song with any artist dead or alive you get three and a producer or two who would be on that song oh my gosh that is so hard not an easy question no that is not an easy question at all okay i think i got one or two producers mm -hmm. hmm i think i would i would probably pull someone from drake's production team because i think his sound is really cool and it's current mm -hmm. and then i i would give it a little bit of a throwback vibe i think if i could really choose dead or alive i would have to pull out some some classics here i would have to pull out some prince awesome he like i mean how could you have that option and not collab with prince um i mean throw drake in there too it's his producers okay. let's throw him in there prince and drake i i think drake and prince would be pretty dope and then let's throw some post malone in there too Ooh. yeah i feel like there'd be some cool little vibes going on and then prince and post malone we all three of us actually play guitar we have some more instruments going on with prince Drake's gonna spit some, you know, romantic R and B trap vibes. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a moment. I, I think that could be really cool. I think it'd be a sharp topping kit, no question. Anyone to see the revival of <laughs> Prince and Drake just without, just alone, right? I mean, don't even add the incorporation else. Just if anyone saw Prince and Drake, like, whoa, that would be. It's like whoa. That would be pretty good. Yeah, we've we've heard Drake, yeah. we've heard Prince on this show, but never together. So that was so that was a new. Oh, one. I've okay. Heard them, there we I've go. I've heard them we're both used, but not together. We're breaking the boundaries here. Breaking boundaries. That's what we're doing. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why. That's the beauty of the dream song scenario. So Jasmine Ortiz featuring Prince, Drake, and Post Malone with production from <laughs> Drake's team. Maybe someone like 40 or uh, – and, and definitely yeah. – and, and Prince definitely can do production too. So he, he's, he, he, get, oh, absolutely. he gets the double. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he gets double time on that one for sure. Uh, no <laughs> doubt about it. Jasmine Ortiz, thank you so much for being here. This has been an amazing episode. Followers of ours. Make sure you are newcomers to the to the show. Make sure you uh, follow her and make sure you stream all of her songs, especially her newest single, Cherry on Top. It is linked in the description below to of this episode. If you are listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube, I should say, make sure you hit that subscribe button for us. And it really helps us out. Also on podcast streaming services, Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud. And of course, uh, you know, follow us at Turntable Teachers on Instagram. And Jasmine, go ahead, plug away for our fans as well, so that way they can follow you and, and stay hip to everything you're doing. All right, you can follow me on all social media platforms at I am Jasmine Ortiz, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. You can find my music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all of the above. Um, so please give me a follow, check it out. I have a new song coming out um, end of April. It'll be called Jaguar. So you guys are hearing it from me. Um, I'm really excited about this upcoming track. We're filming a music video very soon, and I can't wait for you guys to see it. Awesome. Turntable Teaches exclusive Jaguar. It's coming soon. Uh, we'll definitely we'll uh, be promoting it on our end for sure. It'll definitely make it make its way onto our playlist. I can only only imagine that will happen. But and uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for being here, of course, as well. Make sure you hit up our website as well, www.turntableteachers.com. We got all the latest episodes, blogs, merch. You know the deal. And uh, without further ado, thank you so much for being here, Jasmine. This is your time has been amazing. You've given enlightening me on so many different topics, and uh, I just can't wait to see your growth from here. 
And uh, you are officially a Turntable Teachers alumni. And uh, we will be following you for sure uh, from here on out. No question about that. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. I had an amazing time with you tonight. Thanks for having me on the show. And thank you to all the listeners out there. Awesome. Without further ado, I'm Mike. And this is Jasmine with the Turntable Teachers. And class is officially dismissed. <laughs> did you, I, I did love you like that? that. I love that. <laughs>